You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 149, second to the last one for the year. We have a big announcement at the end of this episode letting you all know how we will be picking the films for 2024, which I'm looking forward to next year. I love even numbered years. So I can't really say that 23 was a dumpster fire. Like I've heard a lot of other people say, but I'm definitely looking forward to an even numbered year. It's a leap year too, isn't it? I have no idea about that. I have no opinion on whether that means it's a good year or a bad year. Calendar nerds weigh in. (laughs) Is it a leap year? In fact, I think it is. We are going to be talking about Carol, a movie that came out in 2015, and it can now be viewed on Netflix. The director is Todd Haynes. He did Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, Wonderstruck, and most recently they talked about Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, May, December. Mm. It's on Netflix. Fun fact about the name Carol, Mm -hmm. I had a, a teacher from... Vancouver, British Columbia, eh? in uh, elementary school, and his wife's name was Carol, but his Canadian accent, he produced, pronounced it Carl. And so for quite some time, I thought he was a very progressive teacher and that he had <laughs> married some guy named Carl. And it was only when we met Carl that we realized, oh, that's just how he says Carol. <laughs> <laughs> so in this film, Carol is portrayed by Kate Blanchett. Rooney Mara plays her love interest, Ted S. Uh, Sarah Paulson plays her best friend and I believe former. Former. <laughs> love Amor. interest. Yeah. Uh, Abby Gerhard. Kyle Chandler plays her husband, Harg. That's an interesting. Is that, have you I ever heard of a Harg? They said Harge. Oh, okay. And no, it doesn't exist anywhere. I, I checked a, a website that looks behind the name. And uh, they didn't have any record of it, nor did any Googling. Is that the name of the website, Behind the Name? Uh, yeah, behindthename.com. Yeah, and they have even user-submitted stuff, so I was stunned that they didn't have an entry for Harge. I've never heard of it before. I can't figure what it would abbreviate, even. You mean from or to? Yeah, like, is it Harge-Gerald or I, nothing? I have no idea where you get from that. Right. But it's huh. an odd name. Interesting. And then lastly, Jake Lacey plays Teresa's uh, love interest. I guess he's her. He ha- fancies her. I don't know how much she fancies him. I think they're affianced at the beginning of the film. I think you're right. The DP for this film is Edward Lockman. He also did Far From Heaven. So Todd obviously liked him and wanted to use him again. And he did a film called Ken Park. The writer for this film, the screenplay was written by Phyllis Nagy, maybe? And it was based on a 1952 romance novel called The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith. And it's her story. Yeah, I I don't know where The Price of Salt comes in. doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe in the novel in the it makes novel. more sense. Well, I know, so she had just been diagnosed... She had been diagnosed with something, and so she was trying to, she was working at a department store, very similar to, oh, what's, shoot, what's the Therese. famous? Therese. 
Oh. What's it, the famous one? Bergdorf's? Yeah. She was, let's see, she was working there and this woman came in with the wearing a fur and, and, and so she had a, a lesbian relationship with the, the wealthy woman that came into the department store. And I'm not finding, I didn't write down why she needed the money and got that job. But anyway, let's get into it. The synopsis for this film is an aspiring photographer develops an intimate relationship with an older woman in 1950s New York. The tagline is, some people change your life forever. Hmm. Okay. All right. That's a good one. The character of Carol was inspired by Virginia Kent Catherwood, who was a Philadelphia. So, oh, so it wasn't New York City. It was Philadelphia. Socialite, six years older than Patricia Highsmith, with whom the author had a love affair in the 40s. Catherwood lost custody of her daughter after the homosexuality was used against her with a tape recording of the lesbian liaison that she had in a hotel room. Very sad, because back then, obviously, it was against the law, let alone looked down upon. So, to me, I, I think if you have a recording, that sounds like it's just audio, right? And couldn't you just say, we are doing calisthenics? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that's a case of deny, deny, deny. Well, but maybe there was some I love yous or things that was harder to deny, deny. Uh, I suppose maybe they just loved calisthenics. Give me your pickup line. Thank you, Cal. Not much going on for a Friday. Uh, the not much going on, maybe, but it's a stretch. I yeah. don't think it really lands it on my thesis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it it is a comment on the rest of it. But it very much drops you into the action. Yeah. It kind of does. And this well, is wait, interesting. Is, is that Therese saying it to... No, it's Jack Taft, a minor character who kind of... Um, he only exists to block them at the restaurant. Oh, okay. And so we see this scene twice, right? We see it at, at the beginning of the film, and then we see it again, mostly the same, with a little bit more context at the end of the film, near the end of the film, but we know more by the time we get there. So it plays differently the second time. Well, it's interesting. So does it hold to your theory? Because when they're having that meeting, we don't know it at the beginning of the film, but when we see it the second time, they're basically meeting to solidify that they're not going to be together anymore. And so the not much here, what was it? Yeah, not much going on for Friday. Right. I suppose that could refer to Teresa's response to Carol's invitation to move in with her. Right. And so there's not much going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I say it does All right. All right. go along with your theory. It rallied. Okay. The cinematography on this, Todd Haynes is one of these blokes that I think a lot of modern day producers don't enjoy. He wanted to shoot it on a super, and he did yes. shoot it on a super 16 millimeter film to resemble the look and feel of the photographic film from the late forties and early fifties. And he was influenced also by photojournalism, by the photojournalism of Vivian Mayer, Ruth Orkin, Helen Levitt, and Esther Bubbly. I'm just going to say bubbly because that sounds fun. Well, it's not spelled like Michael Bublé. So he, he definitely got a lot of influences from the style that these women would shoot. Like some of them would shoot through windows and using reflections. And he used that for this film. So if you didn't know it was shot on super 16 
did you did you feel like it evoked that feeling i guess yeah it looked shot on film right i thought it was shot digitally and then post-processed i believe from my reading they could not get the film stock that was available in the 50s so they did they did shoot on film but they had to do processing to make it look that way and to my eye it had a very distinctive look uh the, it was muted colors, but saturated. So it's mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, VistaVision or something like that with really, really strongly saturated bright colors. They were some muted colors, but they were still heavily saturated in, in a different way. It was kind of an interesting look, and I think it matched with the color palette of, mm-hmm. of that time, both the clothing and the autos and, and other things. So definitely a very stylish film, uh, tip of the cap to the production designer. Mm-hmm. Like, all those cars. All those gorgeous cars. And and, and pretty much everything. Um, cash register from the era. I mean, they really, really recreated uh, the, the sets and the look, not just with the film, but also with the production design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the look of the picture is just beautiful. All of the different locations that they were in and the attention to detail. And like you said, uh, definitely echoing you with the costuming and it it was I can see why this film I remember when it came out and it was definitely all the buzz and Oscar and everything and I can't believe it's taken me so long to see it because I really did enjoy it is there anything else of the cinematography or different shots or angles that you took note of they used a Dutch tilt twice that I noticed one was for the shot in the projectionist room Mm-hmm. Which, of course, on IMDb, someone had to chime in. Uh, you would be fired for smoking around cellulite film. <laughs> so, like, okay. Um, it is very flammable. That is, is insanely flammable. But And the other was when Therese and Richard discuss homosexuality, which the, the, the writing, I think, is in general good. But that scene was a little odd to me, where if you're engaged to this woman, she starts talking about, well, so, like, you know, have you ever had a crush on someone and so then his character's like yeah yeah are you trying to tell me something she's like no no and then they drop it that seemed a little bit off to me but i think the dutch tilt there was to show that it was off kilter right their relationship at that point was then uh i did notice also a neat shot where early on when we first see carol with her daughter they're coloring in the kitchen in a little table and Carol uses her left hand so that the wedding ring is very prominent in the light. So I thought that was a, a subtle uh, technique to show without showing Kyle Chandler's character of Harge that she was married. Which I'm going to say then they kind of fell down on their attention to detail because I, I know someone of that era who, you know, that was when we, you know, punish children for your... So I don't think she would have used her left hand. She wouldn't, they, people weren't allowed to be left-handed then. Yeah. I think it was all for, to put the ring in the shot. No, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's possible that, that Kate is left-handed. Or was it to show that she was such a rebel? Yeah. Doing the opposite (laughs) thing, even with her coloring. Let's say that. (laughs) For writing, I have in my notes, why is Carol traveling with a gun? But I just realized if she not only being a lesbian or at least bisexual, but also traveling alone with another woman, she probably felt like she needed that for protection. A highly unlikely in that era. 
women did not carry guns back then. They do now, which is fine. I don't have a problem with it. Right. But in the 50s, I think that's extremely rare for a woman to have a revolt. But I just felt like it wasn't really explained. Especially it wasn't. A, a socialite, like a woman of her. Yeah. I, I just don't think she would ever station. think she would even think that she would need it or that she would have an opportunity to use it. I think a modern person, after we hear about incidents of gay bashing, we would think that you need to protect yourself. But I don't think at that time she would have. And she was so closeted. But it, it it's just for the scene, I think. I might have to put this book on my in my Libby because yeah, sure. I think it would be interesting and just because it's in the book doesn't mean that it happened in real life but I definitely no. I kind of want to know more about these two women and their story right speaking of, of writing though I thought we have a scene early on where Therese is watching the train and I wondered if the train going in circles was supposed to represent her life going in circles she felt like she wasn't getting anywhere mm. and then as uh, people have mentioned there's a lot of cigarette smoking that goes on. And people have analyzed when Carol smokes versus when she doesn't smoke. But one thing that nobody talked about, which I think is very appropriate for this film subject matter, is often people have said that smoking is a very sexual kind of a phallic symbol, mm -hmm. right? And so to have a woman who is presumably... Uh, at one point was active with her husband because there's a daughter mm -hmm. and now is not really into the guys so much anymore. I, I thought there was an additional layer to Carol's cigarette smoking, but I didn't map it out with the red yarn like some people did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with the red yarn. Do you have a sense from what we were told either through, you know, spoken or not, was Carol bisexual or do you think she was trying especially being a socialite did was there money on her side so was there the pressure to you know act as heterosexual is that why because i just never really felt like she had feelings or ever did for hard no i got the sense that she just lied back and thought of pennsylvania as a duty right because she was, was trying expected to of her yeah and it, it, it just became too much. That's what I got. That was the, how it landed for me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Was there anything in the editing that stood out for you as far as the storytelling? And Well, I wouldn't say storytelling, but I thought it was really kind of cool early on in the film. They have a, a shot where the camera is lowering and then they cut to the elevator lowering into frame. I thought that was kind of cool. And then there is... A lot of clever cutting in their first love scene in the motel. Uh, we do see a little bit of Rooney Mara's nudity, but for the most part, it's, I would say, more tasteful than erotic. And they achieve that with a lot of interesting editing, I think, in order to keep it still feeling like it, it was, you know, capturing the sexuality of the, of the moment without it becoming, you know, just like, hey, let's put our actors naked on screen. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. I thought it was interesting. I listened to a handful of interviews with Todd Haynes because I love to understand the director right, and right. kind of what their intentions and motivations are. And he talked about like the whole idea of the female gaze, which I feel like we saw many examples of. I think even like Sarah Paulson's character, when her and Carol are meeting, Jake Lacey's character, who 
you know, that's the male gaze at Teres and Harg. I don't know if he, or Harge, I don't know if he loved Carol. It felt more like a possession or he, like his ego didn't want her to choose a female over him. I don't know. Did you feel like he loved her or not it was, in the slightest? Right. He's he's kind of a jerk. No, I very much felt like he was. And I just was checking in with you. Like, was that how you saw it too? But then back to the female gaze here, you have these two women and they're fascinated by one another. Like we see Teres in the very beginning when she sees Carol, she's like captivated by her. And then Carol definitely, you know, like she literally does the thing where you leave something behind. Uh, I was going (laughs) to ask you. Yeah. I thought the gloves were a leaf behind. Totally. Okay. And so he said, one thing I, I loved, and I, I really appreciate that he pointed this out is here are these two women attempting to have a relationship without an example. And at first I didn't understand Mm. what he meant, Mm. but then I was like, oh yeah. Like we take for granted that we see examples of, uh, homosexual relationships all over the place and it's, it's normalized. Right. And so for, for these two to kind of be, trudging this like I, like I said it was illegal and and not welcomed as a friend of ours was talking about that I hadn't thought it's just the mathematics of even in the modern era for homosexual people is that there are fewer of them and at that era there were none that were visible so this was you know kind of yeah completely uncharted territory for the individuals they probably had no model even well i mean i guess carol had already had a relationship with abby but therese didn't and so she didn't even have language to describe what was going on to then think about what to do is there anything else cinematography writing or editing i think there is an amazing line where early in the film therese and richard are talking and she says have you, how many times have you been in love? And he says, never, uh, except with you. <laughs> and it, it was great delivery of that line from Lacey, that, that, that pause, uh, except for you. <laughs> and I, I think speaking though of, of sets, I really want to give a lot of credit to the production design. There's a spot where they stop for a meal and the sign behind them says like Philadelphia's best burger. So we know they're in Philadelphia. I thought that was just Subtly done to show them on their trip, right? But then in her, in, in Teresa's kitchen, there's her photographs on the wall. But the real the thing that just stuck out almost immediately is when they're in the department store and Teresa's working at the counter, on screen left, there's a sign that's supposed to be for a toy, but it says, Mommy's Baby. And it's white sign and it's obviously lit for us to notice. And so I, I thought that was to to establish kind of the relationship between Carol and Therese, that Carol would be the older, the like maternal or one who's in charge. Well, the other thing it could be is to remind us that Carol is a mother. And so she's not because oftentimes when we see her, she is alone, except for the few times that right. she's with her daughter. And so I think there was also judgments made of women who left their marriage even for another man, let alone for another woman. And so there could have been a lot of judgment placed on her 
because she was a mother. And yeah. and the stakes, right? Right, that's, yeah. It I didn't even think of that though right now, but that's a good point, is it, it foreshadows the state of their love. Yes, that she can she can lose her daughter by following her heart. Which to a modern audience probably seems unbelievable, mm-hmm. but obviously it was what happened to the woman on whom this story is based, mm-hmm. right? And like... Yeah, it's just it, the level of, I guess, I don't know if I want to say hatred, but just like antipathy or animosity that Harge would have to have to go after his ex-wife. I just, again, I, I think that supports your, your, what you'd said is that perhaps it was a possession or it was a game, right? He didn't want to be kind of one-upped. Right, which we see, I mean, even in modern day, mostly notable divorces. Like, sometimes it's nothing about what's best for the children oh, or right, even right. Yeah, yeah. the grown-ups. It's how can I hurt this person that has hurt me? I'm sure in the time there was an embarrassment factor on sure. on his part, or at least he feared. Um, but I'm sure people had judgments. You know, what's the matter? Right. You can't keep a you know your yeah, wife. And uh, exactly. So he was acting out, definitely. Right. Both Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara wore wigs throughout the f- filming, and Carol's classic fur coat was created from the fur of vintage coats with the pieces all sewn together. And they said that almost in every scene, the costumer was having to run in to like restitch the the coat; it kept falling apart. I would love if um, our wardrobe nerds could tell us whether or not a modern faux fur would be visually different on screen, right? That's a very good question. Was there any head trauma in this <laughs> film? It's not our classic comedy kind of that normally right. is why we we look out for the head trauma. But I'm going to say yes. Early on, Harge and Carol get into an argument outside their house. He's quite drunk and he ends up falling backward. And I'm going to go ahead and say that included a little head trauma because he was drunk. He hit his head. Yeah, he fell. How about a smoochie, since we're talking about a love story? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. We do have a couple of smoochies. Um, Carol smooches Therese in the motel in Iowa on their first time, waka waka, and then again in the next motel on their next time. Nice. So many cars of the era. So oh. I, I oh. envision, plus they went on a little road trip. So driving review? Uh, yes. So this is the reason why I think the production designer should have gotten his Oscar because not only did they have exteriors with with streets and every car was period correct, but they were gorgeous. And so one of the commenters on IMDb said, oh, well, they would not actually look that good because it was fairly soon after the war. Oh, it's a movie. They're supposed to look good. They're pretty people and pretty cars, but they were all gorgeous. So tip of the cap. I got to look up that person's name. If I ever run into them, I, I may hug them. That was just so well done. So there are three kind of main cars in the via, in the picture. One is a 53 Cadillac Series 62 limousine, which is what carts hard around everywhere. He does not drive. And given how angry and drunk he is, that's probably a good thing. But that says, I mean, a classic limousine, right? So Carol drives a gray 49 Packard Super Deluxe 8. 
which was the most expensive model of Packard's, which was a luxury brand. So that shows us that she drives a very expensive car for the time. And then Abby drives a green 48 Packard Custom-Made Victoria with the top down. Who drives with the top down in Philadelphia in the winter? So it shows she's a rebel. <laughs> but apparently that car was actually President Eisenhower's car. That like, physical car. Oh, wow. Dwight D. And that it had a, a special custom luggage rack on the back because Mamie Eisenhower apparently had a lot of luggage. She liked to, to take stuff. They had to take it off because it looked stupid for, I guess, or garish. But that, uh, so I thought that, which by the way, that was when presidents drove the most expensive car you could get. Boy, I wonder where our tax dollars <laughs> They went. probably still do. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's interesting. Both of those Packards were uh, three on the tree. Uh, they were manual transmissions, but the gear shift lever was on the steering column, not on the floor. And Sarah Paulson said she was very nervous because Todd Haynes, the director, told her she had to do her own driving. And she says she doesn't drive a manual transmission in a modern car, certainly not an old car with Kate Blanchett on the side. And what she didn't mention in the interview is they have a non-intuitive shifting sequence. So she would have had been trained. It would have been difficult. So tip of the cap to Sarah Paulson for doing that. One more reason to love her. <laughs> totally. I agree. And I will say, as part of the driving review itself, do not change your coat while driving. <laughs> Pull over. Come on, girls. Right. You reminded me of a story that I heard in one of the interviews, and I'm going to forget some of the details at the beginning, but he was talking to Wardrobe, and there was there was a look, that kind of Northeastern probably look of people. And I, I think it was like, Maybe people normally wore maybe more like muted colors, not so colorful. Um, And there was a certain aesthetic. But when we think of that era, we think of the people. So it was like the costumer. It was like your black box, right? Right. The, The costumers said if we if we put them on period accurate, nobody would be able to recognize. We've all become accustomed to this certain look. And what was so funny is Todd said that he would encounter people on the set that were around during that time. Like maybe they were kids and they were like, you nailed it. That's how my, my grandma looked. Oh wow. That's how my mom looked. But he said, we've all like revisionist history changed the way that people looked back then because the costumer was right. They made them look like we've all agreed people looked in cities of the 40s and 50s when in actuality that isn't what they look like. It's interesting because we were talking about a costume specialist just recently and the first and only time I've met her, she told me about how in the 70s in films, the colors are not accurate because the actual colors of the 70s were much uglier than audiences would tolerate. So they have to use period incorrect colors because that's what audiences expect, not what was real. That's so because it's so crazy because we we hear stories about they're trying to make everything so specific and, and right. accurate when there are times when they specifically don't because it audiences wouldn't yeah like oh that olive color is horrible no one would ever wear that (laughs) when they actually did so i'm trying to think of uh my grandmother was uh in 53 she would have been like 33 right of that era and all of her clothing was at least in the photos that i've seen was very drab 
compared to today. Right. Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. This film came out in 2015. It had a budget of just shy of $12 million. It made domestically just over $12 million at $12.7, which today would be like $15.6 million. And worldwide, it garnered $42.2 million. So I would say a success. And it got lots of Oscar buzz. I'll go into the awards in a minute. Sadly, it is a Weinstein Company picture um, of that era. It got a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics absolutely loved this film at 94%. And audiences were pretty much right there with them at 75%. It's shy of two hours by two minutes. And it's rated R and it's considered a drama romance. It was nominated for six Oscars. Todd Haynes won for Best Foreign Film at the Argentinian Film Critics Association. And Edward Bachman won for Best Cinematography at the Boston Society of Film Critics Awards. It also received 70 or yeah, received 75 other awards and was nominated that year for 250 four awards so big hit big success okay we have now come to the announcement that i've been teasing all month where we are going to share how we are going to pick films so previous to now in the past two years we scheduled the whole year in advance pretty much in december we would figure out what we're watching for the whole year and we would pick every film and as you know if you've been listening uh, our first year, we had themes that we told you up front. This past year, we had themes that we wanted you to guess. We had a little contest, tried to make it fun, get some audience engagement. That experiment didn't turn out the way I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we kind of thought, let's mix it up. Let's see, what could we do? So we do have 12 films that were suggested by the winners of each month, those listeners that Yes, their films were written down on index cards. And then we thought, okay, or I thought, how are we going to get the other 40 films? And I don't know which one of us suggested it, but it was, we just pulled up AFI's top 100 and we went through. And if there was a film that we liked and hadn't talked about, or one that was like, okay, this is a classic that I've always wanted to see, like, I hate to admit this is a film student, filmmaker. I've <sighs> never seen Casablanca. Oh, really? Yeah. But that will get repaired this year because that is one of the films on our list. Here's looking at you, kid. Right. <laughs> I've seen clips. I know all the references, but I've not seen it. So we thought, let's take this as an opportunity to watch all those films in that category of everybody thinks you should have seen (laughs) (laughs) and we'll watch them. So we are going to draw every week at the end of the episode, what we will watch next. So that's like for this planner, a personality (laughs) likes to know things in advance and we're, it's going to be very spontaneous because we will draw the week before for the film that we will watch next week, which will be kind of fun because then you guys will know like what's coming up. So we already only had a week to watch the next film, but now the viewing or listening audience will also have a week. So it's a timeliness thing. It is. It is. It's going to keep us on our toes. And this time next year, I may be regretting this and go back to my type A ways and plan the whole year out. (laughs) 
<laughs> we will see. <laughs> right. I mean, we could go absolutely bonkers and do some sort of Doug Benson name game thing where they all have to link together. Like, you know, a clockwork okay. orange followed by orange blossom special followed by. If we're special. doing that, you are programming that year. Me, I'm going to have Doug Benson do it. <laughs> Alrighty. So uh, tune in next week where we will draw the first film for 2024. And we will do that at the end of our episode where we will be talking about the film, The Sessions, a fantastic film. I can't wait to talk to you guys about it next week, but never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 